Well, let me again add a word of welcome to you. We are so glad to have you be a part of these Christmas services with us. And uh, for those of you watching online, so glad to have you a part of this with us as well. Uh, We have been planning and praying and preparing uh, for these services and to have you with us is is just a treat. And so I wanna welcome you to church, whether this is a regular thing that you do with us every week or whether this is something that uh, is new to you, uh, we are so glad to have you a part of it. I also wanna let you know uh, that we've got a special series coming up in January that we would love to invite you back to. Uh, We're calling this series Redeeming Pleasure, and we're going to look at what does the Bible say about pleasure. Now, you may look at that and go, I don't think the Bible talks a lot about that. That's like, I think the other guy, you know, deals more in that. Uh, We're going to look at uh, pleasure from a biblical point of view, and I I think you'll be surprised at at what you'll find in that. So I want to invite you back. That begins January 7th. We're going to spend a month talking about that. And to get you ready for that, uh, my wife and I would like to give you a Christmas gift. Uh, We're going to give every family today a copy of a book that I wrote called Redeeming Pleasure. Uh, And so just each family, if you'd be interested, uh, give you some holiday reading if you'd like. And uh, we encourage you, uh, this goes deeper than we're going to have a chance to go uh, in the weekend, but uh, we're going to spend a month talking about some of these concepts in a different way and and what does this mean for us in community and and how do we live out a life where we we desire pleasure, but we often don't know what to do with it. So I want to invite you back January 7th. We'd love to have you be a part of that with us. Well, today we're talking about an incredible story, the story of Christmas. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And so if you've got a physical Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to get that out and and you can read for yourself. Otherwise, you can just listen and, and I will read this to us. Christmas is all about anticipation. It's about the build up for something great. And, and so as a kid, you know, maybe you had those rings that you would rip off or you had some way of counting down till Christmas. And as an adult, you know, you have those gifts that you're gonna give your kids and, and maybe you're so excited to give your kids one of those presents and you can't wait to see, you know, their reaction to that. And, and that's part of the fun. But as a kid, oftentimes there's something that, that maybe you have asked for and you can't wait to open that gift and you are hoping that that's underneath the tree. I remember one year in particular for me was a defining year. I remember that year, the gift that I wanted more than any other gift was a Nintendo Game Boy. I don't know if you remember this. Anybody have a Nintendo Game Boy you know what I'm talking about? That's right. Nintendo Game Boy was like the toy this year that I'm thinking about. It was one of those toys where if you had it, you would have, you know, more friends at school. Girls would think you're cuter. I mean, like, everything would be set for you if you had a Nintendo Game Boy. And I I just remember pleading with my parents, please, can I have a Nintendo Game Boy? I was so excited. And and so I would watch the tree, you know, every night because, you know, every every now and then some new presents would show up underneath the tree. and, And I would keep watching. Is any of those a Nintendo Game Boy? And one night there's a new present under the tree and I, I go over and I hold it. And I realize it's, it's the right shape to be a Nintendo Game Boy. I feel it's the, the right weight to be a Nintendo Game Boy. I, I shake it. it. It sounds like a Nintendo Game Boy, you know? And, and so I'm holding this thing and I'm just envisioning it so much so I can even imagine where the buttons are. I'm practically playing the games, you know, with the wrapping paper still on this thing. I'm so dialed in to this Nintendo Game Boy. And so what I would do every night before I'd go to bed, I'd go into the tree, I'd hold my Game Boy, and I would just imagine how life was gonna be different on Christmas morning when I opened this thing. And it was gonna be amazing. So every night, I'd go down there, imaginary, you know, play my, my Game Boy, and, and then go to bed, and it would be great. And I remember Christmas morning being so pumped up to go and open this present. And so I remember, it was like the first present I wanted to open that year. Like, hey, can I open this one? My parents go, no, 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 not that one. We're gonna save that one. Okay. 
I see where you guys are going. All right, yeah, yeah, okay, let's, let's open that one last. Yeah, I'm with you. So we'd get to all the other presents and finally we got to that one and I was pumped. And so I, I read it and I'm like, now? Now can I open it? And they're like, you can open it. So I ripped the wrapping paper off that thing, so excited to look into my Nintendo Game Boy. But instead, I look at a wrapped package of batteries. Now, it's pretty hard to recover from that when your parents are watching and you're trying to sound grateful. And so I think I said something like, batteries, I wanted these, you know? And I'm like, why did I have to wait to open this? They're like, well, those go to the other presents we got you. We didn't want you to get that first. And I'm like, oh, okay, and and here's the deal. That year, I never did get my Nintendo Game Boy. Come on, just feel it with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of you have been there, you know this pain. Now, to my parents' credit, they gave me a Game Gear, which was similar. Uh, But I had a moment where I had so badly wanted something, and I didn't get it. And maybe you've had that same memory. Maybe you have something when when you were a kid, and you so badly wanted this, and yet you never got that present. It it didn't happen for you. And and for a lot of us, that's Christmas. You know, like, oh, it's, it's these expectations you have, these anticipations you have, and they don't come to fruition. But it's not just true about presents. If we're honest, some of you might say that's been your experience with God. You had a high expectation. You anticipated much from God and he didn't deliver. And so as you look at your story right now, you go, I didn't think my life would turn out like this. This is not the story I thought I'd be living. Or maybe one time you pleaded with God and and you prayed so fervently for him to intercede in your life, for him to, to show up. He didn't answer that prayer. And so you go, well, Christmas to me is just a time about failed expectations, about anticipating something and getting let down. In fact, maybe you relate more with Charlie Brown this time of year, who famously said, my trouble is Christmas. I just don't understand it. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down. And you might go, this is a weird feeling to have at Christmas, but it's actually part of the Christmas story. Now, the Christmas story begins in what the Bible has as the New Testament, the, the latter part of the Bible. And, and you might think it just like, you know, just takes place like another day. But what you, you might not realize is when the Old Testament ends, there was 400 years of a gap before Jesus comes, before you have the New Testament stories. 400 years of silence. 400 years of that desert feeling going, God, where are you? What are you doing? Do you care about us? Do, do, do you even know what's going on? Are you even a part of this? 400 years where there's no miracles, no, no, no you know, supernatural anything, no prophets, no, no one's speaking for the Lord. God's not doing anything. And if you do the math, that's about 20 generations of disappointment. Generation after generation, looking for God, hoping he'll show up, and he doesn't. Now, at what point do you go through that? Do you start to lose hope? I mean, at what point generation after generation? I don't even know that many generations back in my own family. I can't imagine if all of our story for 20 generations was a story of disappointment in God. At what point do you begin to give up hope? I look at my own life today, I give up hope very easily. I can be at a drive-thru waiting to get food and I will do the math on how many cars are in front of me and whether or not it's worth it for me to stay in the drive-thru or go do something else. I literally, this week, had this uh, a moment. There was one car in front of me in the drive-thru and it was taking too long and I was debating my exit when another car pulled in and I lost all hope, I was trapped in the drive-thru. 
I just, I just have this feeling often. Or I, I went and took my kids to Star Wars this week and was loving it, was ready for it. If you go and see the new Star Wars movie, do you know there are 23 minutes of movie trailers before you get to the movie? By the time the trailers ended, I had forgotten why we were there. What, what are we doing? What, what movie? What's happening? It's like I'm, I'm out of hope. It's gone. It took me too long. I can't even imagine talking to my parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. And the story after story after story is that God doesn't show up. God is silent. God is far away. God must be angry. God must not like us. And so it is generation after generation of this. They just get used to this disappointment until one night, until one night God decides to break the silence. God decides to speak in the most unusual of ways imaginable. I love the way the author Beth Moore put, puts it. She says, one coal black night, the silence shattered like glass, the divine sound barrier broken by cries of a newborn. All of a sudden, everyone's going, whoa, wait, wait. God is still around, God still cares, God is listening, and God is with us. God has become a baby. You can imagine how this story emerges in the most unlikely of ways. And so this month, what we've been doing is looking at the Christmas story from all different vantage points. We saw it through Mary and through Joseph and through Herod and the Magi, and you can watch any of those online if, if you've missed those. But today we're gonna look at the story from the vantage point of the shepherds. It's a group of people that are overlooked in the story. We don't seem like they have a huge part to play. And, and maybe you look at the shepherds and go, I don't have much in common with them. But my hope today is that you can see what the shepherds saw and you'll realize you have a part in this story as well. And so we begin reading in Luke chapter two in verse eight. It tells it like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, you, you might hear the story and go, oh, that's, that's cute. Uh, but wh why the shepherds? Like, why was this a group of people that, that God decided to speak to that night? Maybe you imagine that the angels are just hovering around. They're like, hey, Jesus is coming. We gotta tell somebody. Can you find anybody? I don't see anybody. Oh, look, there's some shepherds over there. Let's tell them. Like, maybe it's totally random that they just happen upon these shepherds. But as you dive into the story, you realize there's nothing random about this. Now, there was a, a law uh, or a rule that the rabbis had in Israel that you could not raise sheep in Israel. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. If you wanted to be a shepherd, you wanted to raise sheep, you had to do it in the wilderness. They did not want this to happen in, 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 you know, in Israel, where everyone else was. And, and so it's unusual that these shepherds are nearby raising these sheep. Now, there is one exception to this rule. That, uh, the one exception you could be invited to raise sheep close in Israel was if you were raising them for temple sacrifice. If the reason you were raising these sheep or this livestock was for people to use as worship in the temple, then it was okay for you to be nearby because those would be needed. You would need to have people uh, have easy access to that. 
So these shepherds are raising sacrificial lambs that people would come and buy. They would take one of these lambs to the temple. They would give it to a priest. And according to the Jewish custom, uh, the priest would sacrifice that lamb, would kill it. And and then the person would be atoned for. Their, Their sins would be covered over. They would be right with God based on that system. That's what these sheep are there for. That's what these shepherds are doing. And so it is to these shepherds raising the sacrificial lambs that God shows up and says, hey, I have a new sacrifice that's gonna be here. A sacrifice that will end all of their sacrifices. This will change everything for these guys. And you can imagine how that message would sound to a bunch of shepherds. Well, then the next detail you, you read about that, that the angels begin singing. And if you're skeptical of the whole story and you're, you're not quite sure what you think about God, I get it. We're so glad that you're here. This is a safe place to ask questions and wrestle through this together. But you might go, hey, what, what's going on here? Why do they bust in the song? No musical just happens in real life. You know, that, that's not really how things work. And maybe that makes you a little bit skeptical. Well, you might not realize that there was actually a custom in Palestine in those days. When a mother was giving birth, the community would gather around the house and the musicians would come and they would bring their instruments and they would wait. And and then as soon as you would hear these cries of the newborn, they would ask, is it a boy or is it a girl? If it was a boy, there would be great celebration. They'd be high-fiving and the musicians would break into song and everybody in the community would celebrate. Now, if it was a girl, this is just history, guys. If it was a girl, the musicians would silently go away, there would be no music. Let me even tell you, there was a saying that the rabbis had, this is the saying, the birth of a male child causes universal joy, but the birth of a female child causes universal sorrow. Now, let me just take a time out here for a moment. In that culture, clearly this was where women were. There's some residue of that today in our culture as well. I would just tell you this. I don't believe that is God's heart for women. I don't think that's how God sees women. And that's not how we see women as a church. So if you are a female, I want you to know we value you and prize you. And this is not reflective of God's view of you. Amen? All right. But it is reflective of the history in which the story takes place. Now, Jesus is not a girl. He's a boy. Why were there no musicians? Why was this custom not played out? Here's why. They're not having this baby in their hometown. Mary and Joseph are not around their community. Jesus is born in in poverty, in obscurity. They have traveled to go and do this. There's no room for them. And so there's no one around. There's no community around them to say, oh, let's usher in the celebration of this baby boy. And, And so in light of that, God says, you know what? I'll take this one. Angels, do it. And all of a sudden, a choir shows up. They're like, we got this. I mean, imagine listening to angels sing worship. That's gotta be pretty awesome. And and so they are the ones that usher in the fact that God is now with us. This is worth singing about. God's not far away. God's not angry. God's not distant. God is here. And the angels usher in the singing as they celebrate this incredible moment. And so we keep reading in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
Now, if you've heard this story, you know, for year after year, uh, you, you kind of just go, oh, this makes me feel warm and tingly on the inside. I love this story. It's so cute. Uh, you, you might not actually read it with your normal logic that you might read, you know, in other stories. So let me just stop for a moment. Let me ask a question that I'm wondering when I read this story. And, and it's a pertinent question. And, and I would suggest is the most overlooked question of the entire story. You ready? Here's my question. What about the sheep? Is anyone thinking about them? So these shepherds go, ooh, there's a new baby born. Let's go see him. You had a job to do. Like you have sheep you are raising, you are responsible for them. You're just gonna leave them in the, in the countryside while you go you know, gallivanting on and you're gonna go see this baby. Like what is going on? Is no one thinking this through? I don't know about you, but I have this thought a lot. I look at things and I go, I don't think we're thinking this one through. I think we're rushing in to something. Uh, parents, you're about to give your, your kids gifts at Christmas. Have you thought through the ramifications of some of the gifts you're about to give them? For example, my wife texted me uh, a couple weeks ago. She said, hey, here's a good Christmas gift. We should get this for our kids. It was an Amazon link to walkie-talkies. I texted her back one word, nope. <laughs> I've got five kids. I don't need walkie-talkie noise in my house. We have a natural soundtrack that we live our lives to that is already loud enough. I, I don't need more of that. And I even look at some of the gifts today and I go, who is thinking this through? For example, here's a hot item this time of year. Blanky Tails Shark Blanket. Your children can sleep inside of a little shark like a, like a sleeping bag. What better way to give your children nightmares of being eaten alive all night than to give them a shark that they're sleeping inside of? Is no one thinking this through? Like what? Like, like, like if you look at the details, it's a kid size. Climb inside. No, thank you. I want to sleep peacefully of not being eaten by a shark all night. I just have this thought, like is no one thinking this through? And so when I look at the shepherds and I go, you're just gonna run off and leave the sheep? Are you not thinking this through? And yet here's the answer. These shepherds realize this changes everything. There is nothing more important than with the news that they have just been told. And so they leave the sheep behind, presumably, to go and run to Bethlehem and see what's going on. Now, if you read the text carefully, you'll notice that the angels never say anything about Bethlehem. They say in the town of David, the shepherds intuitively know that is Bethlehem. Why? Because David is not a random person if you're a shepherd. Now, in that culture and throughout history and throughout the Old Testament, shepherds were not highly esteemed as a profession. And so if you were coaching your kids or saying, hey, you know, little Timmy, what do you want to be when I grow up? I want to be an astronaut. That's awesome. Sally, what do you want to be? I want to be a shepherd. Oh, no, Sally, not a shepherd. Go with Timmy. Like, astronaut is way better. You don't want your kids to be a shepherd. It's what you did if you dropped out of college and it didn't work out. You know, it's like, well, we'll go be a shepherd. We'll figure that out. They were just not held in high regard with one notable exception in the Bible. That's a guy named King David. King David goes from being a shepherd to becoming king. But this is not a normal story, it's an unusual story. And even in the Old Testament, God makes it clear that it was not because David was particularly awesome, but because of what God himself did. Here's how 2 Samuel chapter seven says it. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. God says, I took you from a shepherd and I made you 
king. It's not because you worked hard and you applied yourself and it's the logical outcome of a shepherd who does that. No, I did something. But here's what you have to understand. If you are a shepherd, this guy is your hero. A shepherd who became king, anything was possible. And so little shepherd kids grew up, they, they would put you know, posters on their wall of King David. I mean, it'd be like, this is our guy, this is our hero, anything is possible. And so imagine to their ears how it sounds when an angel says, hey, there's a new king, a, a king of all kings, and he's born in the town of David. They're going, really? And, and, and David's town, that's where the new king is coming from? This is incredibly good news for them. God is personalizing this story for these shepherds. And then notice that, that notice where they lay Jesus. And again, if you've sung the Christmas songs, you know it, he, he's in a manger. It says it twice in the text that we just read. But a lot of us, we don't know what a manger is. We don't interact with a manger often. And so it's helpful to go back and go, what's the actual word being used? In, in Greek, this is written in Greek. In Greek, the word is fatne, which is a really fun word to say. So when you're driving the car later today, just, just you know, throw it out, just have some fun. Fatne, that's what a manger is. And here's what's fascinating. If you literally translate that from Greek into English, here's what you get. Pack and play. <laughs> Did you know that? It's a literal translation. That's not true at all. I made that up. <laughs> here's the point. A fatne is not a pack and play. It's a feeding trough. It is the last place you would ever place a newborn child if you had to set a newborn down. You would look around and go, uh, there's nowhere for me to put him. You, you would not look at a fatne and go, oh, that's a good spot. Let's put him there. Where the, you know, the, the grime and, the, and all the dirt and everything from the animals, like all their saliva and residue. Yeah, let's, let's lay the newborn child there. That's not where you would put him. But if you're a shepherd who is raising animals all day long, who is, is you know, their whole livelihood is dependent upon feeding their sheep, it's kind of a beautiful image to find the king of kings in a fatne, in a feeding trough. And you realize God is personalizing the story for these shepherds. It would have been such good news to them as they came and saw this story. And here's what I believe. I believe that God will find common ground with every single one of us. God will find common ground with your story. And we've seen this already. We, we saw it in the life of Mary that, that God comes to Mary through the angel Gabriel. That's how he communicates to her. When it comes to Joseph, he communicates to Joseph through three different dreams at night while he's sleeping. And when it comes to the Magi, he communicates to them through a star because that's what they would have been paying attention to. See, if you will look long enough, you'll look hard enough, you'll realize, as the shepherds did, that God is personalizing his story for your life. God is trying to draw you in in a way in that you can understand that makes sense to you and you go, oh, Oh, he's, he's, he's doing that, so I see it. it. Now, it might be something through your, your job, through your career, that God is using that as a bridge to reach out to you and help you understand what he's doing. It might be through your hobbies, through the things that you enjoy and just the way that you see the world, and, and God may use that as a bridge to help you understand. Or, or maybe it's something that has happened in your life, whether that be something that was great or something that was really painful, that, that changed the way you saw the world. Change the way you saw God. God may use even that to go, hey, this is how I'm gonna personalize this message for you. But what you realize is this is not a distant story. This is a story of, of God personalizing it for us. And the great news of Christmas is that God supernaturally came into our story 
to invite you into his story. See, it's not just, oh, that's a cool story, now let's go on with life. No, God came into our story as a child to invite you into his story, to say, hey, I've got a role for you to play. I've got something for you to do. And you begin to see this and you go, wow, this is amazing. God broke through the silence. God broke through that, that gap, that barrier, and now is with us. Every religion of the world is gonna tell you how you get to God. The story of Christmas is that God came to you. God came as a helpless, vulnerable little child and says, this is, this is what I'll do to personalize the story to you. So you get to verse 20, and it says this. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. These shepherds are out minding their business when the angels come and tell them an incredible story. So they decide to go and verify it. They go see it for themselves and they realize it's even better than we thought it could be. And they become the ones to tell others. And this is the same process that God does today. He invites us in, he, he reaches out to us, he communicates to us. He says, come and see. Come and, come and experience this for yourself. And if you're willing to look, I believe you'll see him. You'll find him, you'll go, wow, that's, that's even better than I had imagined. And then you become the ones to go and tell others, to bring others into that story. And again, this is so unusual that God uses shepherds. Not only would these guys have you know, low self-esteem and low you know, uh, credibility, they could not be uh, a witness in court. They could fulfill no judicial office in this culture. So to use shepherds as your main storytellers is a bit of a strange move for God. And I think God is communicating, this is no ordinary story. It doesn't matter if you think you're disqualified from the story, that something you have done in the past has, has removed you from it. It doesn't matter if you think, hey, that story just sounds boring. I don't, I don't see anything it has for me. God is inviting you into a story that changes everything. And the shepherds were some of the first ones to see it. And here's what I realized today, that the good news the shepherds told others is still good news today. The good news to these shepherds that changed Everything for them is still just as good for us today. And depending on what you've been through, you might say, well, I've gone through some pretty painful things in my life. I don't know if this is still good news to me, but it's still good news. Maybe you're going through something right now. You, you walked in here today and you're just hurting, you're aching, you're, you're carrying something so heavy. And you need to be reminded it's still good news, no matter what you're going through. Or maybe for you, you're just going, I, just, I haven't done much with this story. I, you know, I, I once believed it or, or I still believe it. I just, I've kind of overlooked it. I haven't done much with it. It's a reminder to you, this is still good news today. And when you see this, you realize life will never be the same. There's no going back once you've seen what the shepherds have seen. So I wanna close by reading a part of one of my favorite Christmas stories. It's uh, written by Charles Dickens called A Christmas Carol. If you know the story of A Christmas Carol, it's about Ebenezer Scrooge who begins the story as this crotchety old man who is against everyone, against Christmas, against generosity, against love, and has an incredible transformation in a night. And what I love most about this story is the final chapter where he wakes up on Christmas morning and his situation hasn't changed, but his outlook has changed. And all of a sudden he realized that everything that he took for granted, everything that he just thought was mundane and normal is suddenly filled with life and opportunity. And this is what I think happens inside of us when you see this message. 
when you see that God is not far away, but God is with us, it changes the way you view everything. Here's how Dickens writes it. He went to church, and he walked about the streets, and he watched the people hurrying to and fro, and patted children on the head, and questioned beggars, and looked down into the kitchens of houses, and up to the windows, and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything could give him so much happiness. I believe this is what happens when you see the shepherd saw. You realize God is not silent. God is not distant. God is not angry. God is with us. And this child changes everything. And when you see it, you, you cannot help but want to invite others to see what you have seen. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we are in awe. The way in which you came to us, not in power and majesty, but in the vulnerability and humiliation of a little newborn child. And to many generations who had longed to see you, longed to hear from you, and had their expectations dashed, you broke through and communicated a story to all of us now who would see it. We know exactly where you are and what you look like and what you think of us. We don't have to work our way to you. You have come to us. May we see how this story changes our story, how you are personalizing it. You are inviting us to experience a story so far beyond ours, we can barely grasp it. And yet this is incredible news that we cannot keep to ourselves. May we be the ones to see it and to invite others to see what we have seen. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.